boy, USA in your Chevrolet. America's asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. Well, we have America's promised you all show that we're going to have Peter Brock, and now the great news is we do. But before we get to that, just a second, got to tell you all this information is at ChristianCarGuy.com. So if you want to find out more about what we're talking about or links to all the resources that we have, it's all at ChristianCarGuy.com. But Andy, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. All right. You know, earlier in the show, I spoke about uh, Peter Brock's history. Uh, so because of our time uh, constraint here, I, I wanted to get to a few questions uh, really quickly. Uh, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing great. We're out here in Henderson, and the temperature's about 80 degrees outside, and it's blue uh, sky. It's the place, I'll tell you. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, you heard uh, Fred Simeone uh, earlier on the show. He was talking about the Cobra. You know, that the cover that you designed for the Shelby Group back in the 60s, and now it's in his museum, you know, for everyone to see. And I, I thought it would be appropriate to ask, you know, Peter, how in the world did you have the vision to design such a car? And was it a rendition of uh, the, the uh, Corvette Stingray Coupe or vice versa? No, it actually had very little to do with the Stingray. Uh, I had uh, have always been sort of a student of history, and, of course, with my interest in cars, I had come across some uh, rather complex papers that were written in the late 30s by some German scientists uh, who mm -hmm. were studying aerodynamics for automobiles. And uh, I couldn't read the German, but I could understand the numbers, and they had a very low coefficient of drag. And I thought that would be applicable to a new car because nobody had ever used that information. It had all been lost after World War II. And I simply applied those numbers to uh, the Cobra chassis and uh, came up with a design. But it, it wow. was all in, all inspiration. Of, it was designed in the late 1930s. Wow. So, so your, your inspiration to the Corvette Stingray was, was very similar? I think. Well, that was actually uh, a direction of Bill Mitchell, of course, at GM Styling. He had gone over the Turin show in... Uh, in 1957, he had seen all these beautiful little streamliners that were being built by, you know, the, the mostly Italian Fiat-powered record breakers, and uh, they were all had this very uh, crisp built line all the way around, and little aerodynamic shapes over each tire. And he just mm -hmm. uh, came back with a bunch of photographs, and that was the brief. He said, "Let's let's take this theme and run with it." And of course, uh, there were several designers in the studio where I was working for, but. In the end, he uh, ended up choosing the design that I had had come up with, and uh, we ran with it and developed it into the Corvette. Wow, that's what an amazing story! Now, what do you? I mean, where do you see the future of performance at this point? I mean, you see the you know the C7 Corvette and the, and the Z06 winning all these uh, you know, championships and the Nurburgring and so on. I mean, where? Well, do you have there any, isn't a there isn't a better car made in the world right now. Uh, a technology standpoint, really, than the, than the new Corvette. For the money that you pay for that car, it's absolutely the finest engineered car in the world. And it's, yeah. I mean, it does everything. It has incredible performance. It's a wonderful, comfortable driver. It has all the fit and finish of the finest European supercars. So uh, it's, it's going to be pretty tough to top anything that they're doing right now in that direction. So I think that um, we will see more uh, going in the direction of uh, more efficiency with hybrids and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you think more of hybrid technology rather than like 
you know, the Tesla and so on, you know, with the, the full electric. You think it'll be more like a combination? Yes, like what, definitely. Like BMW has yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. Now, you recently put uh, out a book, 63 Corvette Stingray to Cobra. Yes. Uh, could you share, share a little bit with us on that? That's a, I'm well, going to pick that up myself that, here. That really tells the whole history of how the Corvette came about with uh, with Bill Mitchell back at uh, at uh, GM. And, of course, uh, Harlow uh, uh, Curtis was then the, the president of General Motors, and uh, they had decided that uh, they'd make a industry-wide ban on all performance and uh, had cut off all development on uh, anything having to do with performance. But Bill Mitchell was just coming into his uh, reign at GM styling, taking over from um, the, the, the previous years that had been all pretty 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 bland stuff. And Mitchell mm-hmm. decided that he was going to change the whole look of GM styling. But he had Harlow Curtis in the way so he decided that he would build the Corvette in secret, and he couldn't take it upstairs to the main uh, design studios with Chevrolet. So he took it downstairs where all the young interns were working in the studio I was working in. Oh, and, wow. uh, it gave us that brief to design the car, and based on what he had learned over in uh, in Italy at the Turin show, and from that mm-hmm. so we developed mm-hmm. the uh, first prototype a Corvette, which eventually became the the car it took six years from the original sketch that I did in November of '57 till the time it finally came out. So it was so in in '57 you said '57 you were designing the '63 Corvette. Exactly. Yes. Wow. So it took that long. It, it, to it took wow. that long to get it through, uh, partly because of the bureaucracy at General Motors and the the time it took to convince management that it was a a viable product. So. When we built the prototype, that was all done in secret. And then when they finally discovered that he had designed the car, they said, you cannot put the Chevrolet name on it. You cannot put the Corvette name on it. So he called it Stingray. And they said, and if you're going to run this car on the track, you have to pay for it yourself. So Bill Mitchell went totally against uh, the management seats on it, ran the car himself, called it the Stingray. And, of course, it got such incredible public acclaim from styling because it was so far advanced that he completely uh, took management, turned them around, and realized that this was going to be the halo car for General Motors. And his key is starting a whole new design line for General Motors. And I think it was probably one of his most successful designs. He mm-hmm. did dozens yeah, great of great cars, you know, but that, that was the car that really made Bill Mitchell was the, was the Corvette Stingray 63. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with all your accomplishments. I mean, you've, you know, you probably look at yourself and say, yeah, it's just a normal day at the office, but from, from our perspective on this side in the racing world, and you've been a role model of mine for years racing uh, one of your partners, Jim Fitzgerald's car, um, you know, what's your biggest biggest accomplishment? Well, uh, you know, it's also whatever the next project is, but there was one unfinished project that we did at General Motors um, which I, I had, you know, I'd gone to work there when I was 19, and I knew what it was like to try to buy a, a neat car when you're 19 years old and you don't have any money. Mm-hmm. You don't, you have to go out and buy a used car, and you're not going to work on it yourself, so you don't have tools or a jack or anything like that. So I explained uh, to the idea of building a student car because with the uh, efficiency that they've got in in numbers, you know, the economy of scale 
we could build a beautiful little car for $1,000 that any student could buy. And uh, so we made a couple of prototypes like that, and it was a fabulous car. Uh, That's great. And we got got as far as building them full size. But Harlow Curtis came along and looked at it and said, no, we don't build small cars at General Motors, and that killed the project. (laughs) But that was was probably the most exciting project that I was involved in, and nobody ever got to see it. That's great. Well, Peter, you've done many tremendous things in your life so far, as I mentioned, and things that literally shaped the history of the automotive world, especially the racing world. I mean, again, you're well, one of our Daytona, role models. The Daytona Coupe did that, I'll tell you, because it's it been the only car that the ideas of aerodynamics have transferred over to today's car. I mean, you look at a Toyota Prius, for example, and that's a Daytona Coupe. It's a little aerodynamic shape with a chopped-off tail at the back. And that's the most efficient package for that size. No matter what you say, I still can't buy a Prius. I'm sorry. But <laughs> Peter, no, buy the Honda thank version. You. Thank it's you so much. Looking. <laughs> you bet. Peter, you know, thank out. you for being on the show and sharing your stories with us. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, wow, it's been an exciting show all the way around today on the Christian Car Guy Show. I'm so thankful, Andy, that for these amazing guests that you've lined up for us, how God's blessed us. So, again, we thank it. you all that you know and one of the ways that god's blessed us with you the listeners those of you who had a chance to share with us today um i can't tell you what it means to us to have you out there listening so thanks again remember slow down jesus walked everywhere he went and got it all done in 33 years and thank you for listening to the christian car guy show christiancarguy.com 